0: So you want to read Tolkien?
1: We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin.
0: I'm
2: Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading.
1: For Middle Earth.
0: If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth.
1: I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... sally That's what Into the West means. Let's go home.
0: (laughs) We're unqualified, but we have ideas.
1: Okay, hello. Welcome to the show. We are here, and we are ready to talk about chapter 16 and 17. Yes?
2: Heck yes. Mostly chapter 16,
1: which is so much more interesting.
0: (laughs) The balance of these chapters is very weird.
1: Yes. I had the most difficult time recapping Chapter 17 because it has like three different stories and some family trees in it.
2: God help you for trying and we're leaving that one pretty much entirely up to you. I can call dibs on characters for their <laughs> Chapter 16.
1: <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to do that.
2: Okay, then I'll do the recap for Chapter 16. All right. So Chapter 16 was of Maglin, And so we have... A few new dramatist personae. <laughs> um, so I'm actually going to start us with an older character who is Turgon. He is the son of Fingolfin, and he's the king of Gondolin, which is the very super hidden um, elfin kingdom that no one knows except Almo. And so he has a sister who is Aerithel. She is obviously an Noldor. She is pretty cool. And she has desires to go adventuring. So she ends up meeting this Teleri elf named Aeol, who is a guy who used to live in Doriath, but left. He pretty much just lives alone in the middle of nowhere, not liking people. He sits in the dark. Yep, yep, yep. Blasting loud music. Hanging out with all dwarves. All stuff, fun stuff. Wearing, wearing
1: eyeliner <laughs> and hanging out with dwarves. So, I think it's said in the book that he misses the world before the sun and moon rose, so he just wants it to be night all the time. Pretty much, he really hates the sun. I mean, even and more yeah, he shops than hot topic. Yep. <laughs> 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 um,
2: so basically, they end up Aeol um, and Arathol end up having a kid together, who is Maglan, aka Maglan of the chapter title. He will become important in the future, I presume, because we sort of see him come into his thing, but lots of ominous things are said about him. Um, Then we're also going to um, come back to when Arithal is adventuring. Uh, Caligorm is a son of Feanor and Corfin is another one. So they're sort of side characters in this chapter. And, Back in our secret uh, kingdom of Gondolin, we have Idril, who is Turgon's daughter, and one of the people who's described only as being super duper pretty. Um, I guess that's that's it. Yeah. Do that sounds like everybody any... to me.
1: Or or have have we met any female elves that aren't just described as being beautiful? I mean, I
2: think it's a side of all of them, but at least Galadriel was described as wanting her own kingdom.
1: That's true.
0: And and Malin is beautiful, but also wise, even though, you know, no one yeah. ever listens to her. She's not an elf. Melian?
1: Melian, no. She's a Maya. Maya, you're right. So I guess for a woman to be something other than good looking, she has to be divine. Yep. Sounds about right.
2: <sighs> and she was literally described as a Disney princess. Yeah,
0: not literally, <laughs> but
2: figuratively. <laughs> All right,
0: so <laughs> to, to keep us from getting even further off track, um, our recap of the Of Meglin chapter uh, starts with Aradel, who is a uh, daughter of Fingolfin. She's hanging out with her brother Turgon in the city of Gondolin, and she, you know, is imprisoned there because Turgon doesn't let anybody leave, and she uh, desperately wants. To get out of the city, and she convinces her brother to let her go, even though her brother thinks mm, this is a really bad idea. Um, so, if you're going to go, you have to take some guards. Um, they're going to go off and seek the sons of Feanor, and they. She loses her guards basically in a in a world of shadows, um, and uh, she. Ends up going off on her own. Her guards panic. They search around for her. They don't find her. They turn around to uh, go back to Gondolin uh, to deliver the bad news. And she's just ridden off on her own. She's not worried about it um, until she ends up with Seligorm and Carufin. I had to look back at those names because I cannot pronounce them for my life. Remember the hard Um, seas. They're not there, but all of their people are very happy to see her. Um, And they let her wander around freely, which I think, honestly, is all she's ever wanted in her life. But she wanders too far into the super deep, dark forest where Melian was enchanted. Um, And that is where Eol kidnaps her. Um, He basically takes her to be his wife. And she it says she's not totally unwilling, Um, which was... That made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. And she's happy a little while for Aeol. They have a son whose name is Maeglin, who is, you know, the title of this chapter. And they say that while he resembles the Noldor, he is in character like his father, um, who's, you know, the emo dark prince of the elves. Um, And he's very powerful. So he, like his father, goes to hang out with the dwarves and he learns a lot from them. But um, he really loves his mother and his mother's people. And so he loves hearing about Turgon, who doesn't have an heir. So he convinces his mother um, that they should go back to Gondolin. Um, And while his father is off partying with dwarves, they leave, telling all of Ail's servants, all of his household, I'm not sure exactly, how big the area they're living in is. Um, they tell everybody that they're off to visit the sons of Feanor. Nobody is fooled. Ael comes back home and sets off after him and his wife. Um, he doesn't catch them. He sees them only just as they arrive at Gondolin and they make it inside. Um, and Turgon is really happy to see Maglin uh, because he's really smart. And I don't know, I guess handsome. And Maglin is... Like really in awe of Gondolin, but he is mostly in awe of how beautiful Idril is. Um, So we've got that going for us. There's some incest already, because if you remember, they are cousins. And not half cousins. (laughs) They're real cousins. No, they're actual cousins. Um, Turgon is Eredell's brother. Man, names are so hard. Okay, so Aeol comes to the city gates. He's like, I want my wife and my son back. And everybody's like, whoa, Aridel, you're married? Um, and she's like, yeah, I guess. So they let Aeol into the city. And Turgan is now stuck with this choice because this is his brother-in-law. He treats him like family. But also, you're going to have to stay here forever. Which Aeol uh, is like, no deal. That's a terrible idea. I don't want to be a prisoner. Which, to be fair... You know, his wife had also run away from this city. I'm sure they don't have the best memories of it. Um, so, Turgon decides to give him another chance. He says, you can live here in Gondolin with us, or you can die here. Um, and Ael says, no, he's going to die, and he's going to take his son with him. So, he throws a dart, which was hiding under his cloak the entire time, at his son. But, of course, Eredell... Um, leaps in front of the dart and is struck in the shoulder. Um, so the Turgon decides to cast Eol off the city walls. Aridel dies sometime later because the dart was poisoned um, and Maeglin doesn't really do much as his father is thrown off the walls of Gondolin. Um, but Eol says some, some pretty awful things. <laughs> he sort of casts almost a dark prophecy on his son. And... Um, What else happens? Oh, Idril doesn't like Meglin because Meglin is in love with her and nobody else notices, but she notices and she thinks it's pretty gross. So Idril and I have the same feelings about incest.
1: Okay, we can get to this later, but I just want to throw in there. It's not necessarily just the incest that bothers her. It's that he's a creepy motherfucker who's obsessed with her. It's true. Gets the right to say no
2: just because he's being creepy and not because it's incest
1: not that we're defending
2: well (laughs) anyways moving on but for real he's described in super duper like doom terms at the end it gets really super duper dramatic where his obsession with her is basically like a dark seed of evil was sown and it's described as being like part of the curse how creepy and obsessed he is
1: Okay, more on that later. We we sort of touched on this in the recap there, or Emmy did, but what do you guys think the relationship was between Aerithel and Aeol? Do you think she was a prisoner? Do you think she was willing? Do you think he sort of beguiled her? Oh, super rapey.
0: Yeah, you get a lot of this in fiction from like the mid-19th century and earlier where (laughs) women are kidnapped and raped, and then fall in love with their captors. But not like in a Stockholm Syndrome kind of way, like an obviously I love you, thank you for saving me from myself and my independence. Um, So I sort of saw it as indicative of the time that Tolkien was writing in, because it happens a lot in literature. Yeah. I didn't think any of it felt real, given how easily she, you know, was convinced to leave him.
1: Yeah, I... I guess my thing is, this chapter could have been exactly the same without him saying, like, without him implying that she was kind of captured. It really could have just been, they saw each other, they fell in love, but then eventually she got tired of living in the darkness. Like, it would have been the exact same story, and he did not need to make it rapey.
2: Yeah, I mean, he literally sets enchantments so that she can't find the way out. And
0: mm-hmm. I think it's And then he rapes and her. Part
2: of what what gets me is that, you know, her whole character to that point is that she wants to explore and wander. And this dude literally makes it impossible for her to do that and then forces her to live in basically eternal night, hidden in this forest, not looking at the sun. You know. Yeah. Even if it's not super, you know, coercive, it's definitely kind of abusive.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I really wish that Tolkien hadn't done it that way because I feel like this would have been a much better story if Aeol had literally just kind of been misunderstood you know if maybe he just preferred the world the way it was but wasn't a creeper mm-hmm. but because Meglin comes across when you're first sort of getting to know him when he's younger he comes across as um, like an okay dude you know You know, there's a line about Aerithel being proud of him and all that sort of thing but once they're out of there, he is so creepy, like, right away. Like, he convinces, or he, he tricks his mom, basically, into wanting to run away and go to Gond- go back to Gondolin. And once they're in Gondolin, he never once even tries to defend his father. He doesn't seem really upset that his mother died. He's just like, I, I, <clears throat> I feel like he was kind of like this evil mastermind even before his father cursed him.
0: That's definitely a possibility. I mean, if you consider the idea that he may have looked like his mother and his mother's people, but he was really more like his father, uh, and his father was, as we just said, awful.
2: Well, and yeah, it, I'm looking at this line right now where it was mentioned that you know he would hear the stories, but then, um, and when I was reading this the first time, at first I thought it was talking about Ale, but no, it's about Meglin that. Like, it said that for for mo- for no for by no means would his mother reveal to Meglin where Turgon dwelt, nor by what means one might come thither, and he bided his time, trusting yet to wheedle the secret from her. You know, at it, it, first you think, you know, oh, he just wants to know, but then you're like, looking at him from what you know of what he turns into, that's super
0: creepy. That's weird.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I just think it would have been a more interesting story if Aeol had just been kind of misunderstood. Um, but with him being just as much of a creeper, I mean, Aerithel was just in a bad spot the entire time. She got, like,
2: a year of happiness and ability to wander, and that's about it. <laughs>
1: and then, yeah, the rest of the story is just about men taking advantage of her and tricking her. And killing her. Because she tried to do something nice. Yeah. Yeah. This chapter also includes my favorite recurring theme of people showing up at Doriath and being like, I just want to cut through. And Doriath
0: being like, like, no, no,
1: you're going around.
0: (laughs) Even though it doesn't work out well for anyone, we're not going to let you come through.
1: Yeah. And like, literally, the only way around is through the mountains of terror. Like, have fun with the giant spiders, but you're not coming through here.
0: I feel like they could have made a lot of money off of these people. But also, I live in a capitalist society, and that's the first thing I think of. Tourism dollars.
1: I feel like they could have been slightly nicer.
0: Well, I feel like this whole set of chapters, right, once we get into the Beleriand, it's all about, like, isolationism and who the head of your family is. And Aridel was kind of weird in that she wanted to roam all over the world. And this isolationist mindset is what sets up the arrival of men in the next chapter. The fact that pretty much they keep to their kingdom and don't go anywhere is how Tolkien gets away with pretty much everything.
1: I guess all the Eldar are just power-hungry jerks. They are pretty much all terrible. (laughs) Like, whether they're Noldor or Sindar, they're just like, no, we don't really want to help people.
0: No, but the dwarves do. Well, I wouldn't say the dwarves want to help people, but the dwarves are like... They share, right? And I know Eol and Meglin were terrible people, but they were smart, and so they impressed the dwarves, and so the dwarves, like, welcomed an exchange of information, which, I mean, as we've said, the elves did not.
1: It's hard to say with the dwarves, because nobody was moving into their land, you know? A lot, most of their interactions with the elves happened in in on the elvish land. I think Aeol and Maglin visited them, but didn't ever, like, want to move in or anything. So it'd been interesting to see what the dwarves would have thought if humans or or elves were trying to settle in their territory, because I think that would have gone differently.
2: Yeah, everything kind of happened on their terms, and they didn't have a bunch of people who burned ships and killed family suddenly come up, along with, at the same time, an evil
1: overlord. Yeah, I wonder what Morgoth is doing to the dwarves during all this. We don't really... I'm sure he's doing something. It's never mentioned. Yeah. Because they have to have some sort of reason to get involved in the war later, because I feel pretty sure that they do. I could be wrong. I mean, I guess friendship is a reason. But again, we just haven't... We haven't seen that really expressed with the elves (laughs) very often. The
2: knowledge that Morgoth does have his own mountains, and so he's probably not afraid of our mountains,
1: and he might come for us next. I guess we should fight now. Yeah, I guess I guess the dwarves aren't really the point of this chapter. But I actually really liked this chapter. I thought it was a good story.
0: Yeah, I did too. It was far more interesting than our literary map chapter.
1: I mean, that's not really difficult.
0: It's true. There was a low bar. I set bar. a pretty low bar. It's true.
1: And I liked the... I mean, I guess this book isn't without, like, it it has no shortage of chapters that end with a kind of doom feeling, but I liked the ending of this one where, where, you know, the creepy kid got everything that he wanted, you know, his parents are out of the way, and he can, like, Malin just creeps me out, he's just such a manipulator. Yeah, he's, he's the gross frat
2: boy who gets everything he wants, and Feels entitled to it.
1: But he's smart, too. Mm -hmm. You know? Smart enough to pull it off. The the nerd frat boy. (laughs) Oh, I wanted to mention uh, early on in the chapter, it's described that Aeol, um, you know, learned much of metalwork from the dwarves and came to great skill therein. And he devised a metal as hard as the steel of the dwarves, but so malleable that he could make it thin and supple, and yet it remained resistant to all blades and darts. And he named it Galvorn for it was black and shining. So I like that he had to create this brand new armor so that he could have armor but still be dressed in black.
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's commitment.
0: Peak goth. Yeah.
2: There's just, in this chapter and the next one, we'll get to it. There's so many power dynamics with the female characters that just, aside from the grossness, one of the things that caught me was that when Aerithel was leaving, um, like, who the heck is her brother? Turgon. <laughs> um, Turgon was, like, you know, he was saying, like, oh, you gotta send the guards and whatnot, protect you. And he says something about, like, he, he trusts her, but he doesn't trust the guards, so wanting them to, like, stick to the plan. And then he goes back and, like, tells the guards, like, oh, she doesn't know what awful stuff is out there. And you know, it comes out, then she goes and wanders into the creepy spider mountains, and it's like, yeah, she's the one who's like, yep, just, I'm just gonna wander through, whatever. We're and, fine. And it's yep. the guard dudes who are like, terrified and wandering around and come back. And, like, just, it, what, if you're gonna talk about all these horrible things in the world that she doesn't know of, like, just freaking tell her. Who do you think you are?
0: Anyway. A man. Pretty Not much a man, everyone elves, A, a male. Yeah. She deserved better. She really did.
1: Okay, most of the women in these in this book do, but she must especially like all she wanted was some adventure, and all she got were men trying to trap her. Mm, yep. I mean, I guess there's some vaguely interesting
2: stuff with Kellagorm and Curafen, but less interesting than talking
1: about how Aerithal was mistreated. Honestly, I Honestly, don't remember. She showed up at their place, or no, the guards showed up with them. Well, I, she no, I, no she, I don't remember.
2: She shows up at their place and um, they're gone riding around and so she just sort of hung out there while wandering and then she was like oh man they're not coming back fine I'm gonna go wander for real instead of waiting for my buddy but then at the end um, when Ale is following them away from running away from his forest mm-hmm. he comes on um Caligorm and Kurafin.
1: right yes and, uh, they're not super happy of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, Corifin has that great line, you have my leave, but not my love. Yep. The sooner you depart from my land, also, the better he's like, will it please me.
2: I, unfortunately, am not allowed to, but I would literally kill you on the spot
1: if I could. I love that it's, I, I just enjoy this image of this, like, great and powerful, presumably blonde elf and this, like, dark, black-haired dude. And he's just like, eh, I could, if I could kill you, I would. Well, it's, okay,
2: here's the th- Okay, by the laws of the Eldar, I may not slay you at this time. Like, you guys just literally killed, like, half your family. <laughs> what, what laws, sir, have you come up with in the meantime? Hmm.
1: Yeah. Who created these laws? Right. Who's enforcing these laws? Like hospitality didn't save you before, like... Eh. <sighs> Anyways, Curfin just came across as a big bully. This is another reason, like, I want to... F- I wish I could feel bad for Aeol, but it does sound like he just plucked a woman out of the woods and kept her. So I can't feel bad for him for all this shit that happens to And him. he's freaking hunting after her. <laughs> yeah. See, and the thing is, if I if he hadn't stolen a woman to be his wife... I would have thought that he was literally hunting after his son because he knew that Meglin was evil. You know, because even when they're in Gondolin, he's like, I'm taking Meglin with me when I leave. You can, you know, uh, Arithel can stay. But he stole a woman, so...
2: Yeah, I I I thought that was just him leaving her behind to be miserable.
0: Yeah, because she's in prison somewhere else now, so what does he care? Um... I never really assumed that he knew his son was evil because I never got the uh, idea that like he was self-aware enough to think that he was evil and that he just saw his son like at, you know, like, I don't think he made that acknowledgement.
1: No, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know either. I just think it would have been more interesting if it had been done that way. And I think it would have been well, yeah, easy true. to play it that way. Yeah, we could have had a really fascinating story here about
2: this dude who That's we what, talked about everyone being horrified when they first see the sun, and here's a dude who was literally horrified when he saw the sun, and he's a creep. Yeah.
1: And I wish it had played that way. And I, I still do kind of interpret the ending that that uh, Ale knows that Meglin being in Gondolin is not going to be good for anybody, and that Meglin's a little shit, but... That's just me. Well, it's definitely true that Meglin's a little shit. (laughs) Because, I mean, I can get past incest, as we have talked about previously.
0: (laughs) We noticed. Don't worry. As long as it's
1: all mutually consenting and not, oh, I'm going to stalk my cousin forever. Literally, because we're immortal. Yeah, it's
2: super gross. Yeah, they just talk about how badass he is, you know, he's so smart and makes good counsel, but is also fearsome in battle and not a
1: coward, and also BT-dubs. Super creep. Yeah, but then it does it does point out how he says nothing to his dad when his dad is dying, and he just, like, watches him get thrown off the walls or whatever.
0: yeah. I mean, like you said, it was kind of possibly his plan all along. But also, he was where he wanted to be. His father lived in darkness and Turgon had this kingdom, basically, this giant walled city full of pretty much everything he could hope for, right? They talk about how he goes and finds precious metals um, in the mountain and how he makes things for the good of everyone and buys himself a lot of goodwill and puts himself in a position of power. When he was with his father, he didn't have any power at all.
1: Yeah. I guess I, I honestly just can't tell if the book at this point wants us to like Meglin or not. Like, if if his father hadn't cursed him, would he not have been creepily obsessed with his cousin? Is it all ale's fault? Well, it's almost, they, they imply that it's not ale's fault, but the
2: fault of him being of the Noldor line. Right? Yes, that the curse was they, upon him. Right, they call it mandos's curse not ale's cursing yeah that's true god damn that doom of mandos that's it i feel like they're just sort down. of implying that it's like oh well <laughs> part of the curse is just to make this dude a super creeper so that he can't do good things
0: or so he does good things but you are suspicious of them
2: yeah it does come out pretty he explicitly like Feanor, it was sort of like, you could tell he was going to make some really stupid choices and and whatnot, but they pretty much just come straight out and tell you this dude is a super creep.
1: Although, it says that indeed the Eldar ever since have deemed it an evil fruit of the kinslaying, whereby the shadow of the curse of Mandos fell upon the last hope of the Noldor. So it sounds like they are trying to excuse him.
0: Well, but Well, that's from her perspective. That's Idril, who you know, is the only person who's noticed that Meglin is in love with her. That's what they're talking about. It seemed to her a strange thing. Something was crooked in him. And I thought that sentence was referring to, you know, cousins in love. Like, don't do it. It's crooked. It's a perversion. She's.
2: Yeah, see, I thought it was just talking about incest in general, that the Eldar have deemed incest an evil fruit of the kinslaying. See, I would general. say it
0: was evil even before the kin slaying, but <laughs> at least they caught on at some point.
2: Okay, but they they didn't know incest was even a thing before, right? The Eldar wedded not with kin so near, nor ever before had any desired to do so. And then suddenly they're like, "Oh shit! This creepy dude came along and taught us about this thing." Yeah.
0: But anyway, well, I mean, this whole thing it's is It's always like, unprecedented until someone well, does it.
2: Yeah, but the whole thing is, you know, elvish stories, so even if, if the elves say it's part of the kin slaying or whatever, that's just as good as it being said straight out, because nothing is absolute. It's all myth and legend, etc. But anyway, they do... I'll, I will say, whether we talk about curses or whatnot, they legitimately say a dark seed of evil was sown because of him.
1: The E word came out.
0: <laughs> that was a good line.
1: While its glory lasted, a dark seed of evil was sown. Yeah.
0: Dun 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 dun.
1: Even their most hidden kingdom, evil got in. Well, because they let people out and then back in.
0: I- so I'm starting to think
2: Valinor had the right idea. Oh, they're gone. That's it. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't... E- listen, I thought Turgon's whole thing was gonna be like, you can leave, but don't ever come back, right? Because I don't open my door to outsiders. But then it turns out he did. He opened his doors again. Like, what are... Let people leave, sure, but don't let them come back. I guess
1: family love kind of fucked him over there. That's, I feel like that's yeah. not the last time that family love... I was gonna say, I think that's the plot over. of the book. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have to cross this icy hellscape... He's my cousin Yep, yep or brother yep. or whatever.
0: Should we move on to chapter 17? <laughs> yeah, then,
2: then we abandon yeah. plot entirely.
0: It's true. So, of the coming of men into the West, which you think would be interesting, but is really just kind of confusing. Okay, so,
1: chapter 17, of the coming of men into the West is a difficult chapter to talk about because it has sort of three different kind of plotty stories in it, and then it has a bunch of, like, family tree stuff. And it shouts off a whole bunch of names that we never hear again and don't matter at all. So I'm not going to talk about some of these people. Par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, the point of this chapter is so that we know where humans are in Valerian and we know who they are loyal to. Take notes. This will matter later. So, the characters. We've got our elves, which are mostly, uh, Finrod, who is the son of Finarfin, um, the lord of Nargothrond. And this was the guy who I hated in the last chapter, the piss baby who swore off women because his girlfriend didn't come to Middle-earth with him. Uh, Maedrus and Meglor are mentioned briefly. I really only included them because I love Majros uh, Fingolfin, the current king of the Noldor, Feanor's brother. Thingol is mentioned, king of Doriath, Melian, his wife, uh, the Maiar, etc., and Galadriel comes up, daughter of Fnarfin, currently living in Doriath, with her husband, presumably, who never comes up, which I like, as a difference to all the other shit. So, with the human people that are mentioned we have three different sort of family branches. There's the one that comes from Beor, the one that comes from Beor, the one that comes from Haladin and the one that comes from Meric, Mark? Marach. Who knows? And a bunch of their descendants are mentioned, but we don't need to go into that right now. So to recap the chapter, Finrod, discovers Finrod the Piss Baby, discovers humans uh, camping out in balerion I think. Eh, somewhere on this, this side of the mountains. Um, the humans have moved from the mountains from the east to escape some past darkness that we don't get to know. Because they're, they don't want to talk about it. It's also described that they first saw the sun rising
2: in the west and were like, I'm gonna go follow that ball of fire.
1: Yes, yeah, they do, um, because it's implied that a lot of bad stuff with Morgoth happened to them on the other side of the mountains, and they felt a need to go west and find the light and the goodness in the west. So they travel west. Um, Finrod finds them and wakes them up by playing the harp. It was very creepy and weird.
0: Yeah, he stole the harp.
1: Yeah, he just, like, waited for them all to fall asleep sat in the middle of them and started playing one of their harps until they all woke up creeped and into camp
0: him. yeah that was that was awful
1: and then he lived with them for a year as you do so anyways that was uh and that was beor's sort of group and he made friends with them and some other elves were realizing that finrod was friends with them were like please don't let them stay there this is our land we don't like these new creatures so Finrod took them and they moved sort of further into Beleriand and ended up settling in a place called Estolad? Estolad. Sure. And then Beor told Finrod that two other families were coming and that the two previously mentioned uh, Meric, Mark, Marach, whatever, and Heleth. And then these groups of humans became known as the Edain, which might sound familiar because in Lord of the Rings, Aragorn is one of the Dunedain. So a descendant of these people.
0: Okay. Is all this
1: <laughs> making sense?
0: Like, no, but it didn't really make sense when we were reading it either. Right. I think great. Right. All right. So it, we've they got... They pack
2: a lot into this chapter. We've got one group of people who were found by
1: Finrod, and he sort of took them with. Some more people are going to show up. Yeah. We get it. And then, yeah. so, Merrick moves in and pretty much also moves into Estelad for a time with Bayar's family and then about this time the elves realized that humans would be good cannon fodder in the war not that people had cannons but you know what I mean um in the war against Morgoth and so started trying to befriend them and get them to move on to their land and basically make them you know like peasants I guess on their land. Or, you know, some of them were treated like lords and that sort of thing. But you know what I mean. They moved in. Um, Thingle did not welcome humans into Doriath. Surprise. Surprise. And was pretty much proclaimed that none shall ever uh, enter Doriath. And Melian then, of course, told Galadriel how wrong Thingol was and that at least one human would definitely enter. Surprise, surprise, it's barren again. The girdle would not keep him out. Um, so some Which humans sounds like a in, hilarious euphemism. I didn't even think of that. Especially since, he, well, I mean, we can talk about it then. Like, the girdle doesn't keep him out and the first person he sees is the one he ends up marrying. And yep. Anyways. Uh, some humans stayed in Estoled, uh, but that was mostly because they didn't trust the Eldar. And For good reason. That, yeah, that's fair. But that... Can't sort of settled into that weird creepy thing where eventually all the humans had like a council to talk about whether or not they trusted the elves and what their feelings about Morgoth were. Because when they were following the light into the west, they wanted to meet the Valar, the, the gods. But then they were like, oh, they're across the sea. We can't. And then they're like, except one of them is here, except he's evil. And then they're like, but the elves are telling us he's evil. We don't really know. And in this um, council, there's a dude named Beric and he's sort of against helping out the elves and there's a dude named Amlach Amlock, Amlach Amlach. Whatever um, It felt he's very also dramatic against helping out the elves until he makes a proclamation uh, against the elves and in favor of Morgoth at a council but then later on is like that wasn't me I didn't say those things I wasn't even there and so then people, somebody else, that was a really good line where somebody was like, now we know that there is a dark lord if he's like impersonating us and sending yeah, these
2: I, spies. I assumed it wasn't that person, but he could have also just been lying really hilariously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I really like it that, it's, that he wasn't there and that Morgoth sent somebody into this council of humans and later on this dude was like, I didn't say that and so then he eventually enters into service of Majros Because now even though he was speaking out against uh, joining with the elves before now that Morgoth used him like this He's like no, I want to I want to beat this sucker And I, I really liked that that random small story was included in this giant chapter so then um, the other uh, the third house of Haladin they move into Beleriand and I don't think they ever really made it to Esteled. They were just sort of setting up, uh, homesteads in places and are eventually attacked by orcs and Haladin dies and his son dies by the orcs. And then his daughter sort of takes over his daughter, whose name is Haleth. She takes over leading the people and keeps them as many of them safe during this battle with the orcs as possible until some elves show up and save them. And are afterwards, the elves are like, come and live with us. And she's like, no, fuck you. We're going to go find nice, our nice, own Nice, place. nice, nice, And she breaks her people through the Mountains of Terror because everybody has to walk through there, apparently. And, setters, and settles in the Forest of Brethel. And they pretty much stay there. And she runs that portion of humans... Until she dies, that is pretty much the chapter. We get a lot more names. Well, that's a downer. She was pretty cool. I think. I mean, she dies of old age. I think. So she's not she's not slain by orcs. And it is it. Oh, just to finish things up, it is noted that Beor goes to live with Finrod, and he lives to be over three hundred years old. Because these are still like the early humans who are long lived, even though they are still mortal. And I think he is the first human that the elves sort of watched die of old age.
2: Okay, I was trying to figure out what three and ninety years actually meant.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's over three hundred.
2: Okay. It's either three hundred and ninety or ninety-three.
1: Because remember, like For- Aragorn, who's right. a long, long, long descendant of them, he lived to be over a hundred. Right. That's sure. I just got very confused by how that was stated.
2: Yeah, that's um, I was gonna say I really like that it's mentioned that Halith, um never takes a husband, doesn't have kids. Because mm-hmm. hell yeah, she's too badass to get stolen away by emo dudes.
1: Yeah, she leads her people until she
2: dies, and that's that was.
1: By which I her mean, everyone
2: life. has the right to not get stolen away by emo dudes.
1: Everyone has a right to choose not to get yes. married and have
2: children. But so few of these people actually live a so long age and women. die yeah so few of these women <laughs> live to old age well or an extensive point of time without
1: making a child it's pretty much about their only point maybe he had only lived 93 years but why would he be called the old the years of the adain were lengthened according to the reckoning of men after their coming to valerian but at last Beor the old died when he had lived three and ninety years were four and forty of which he had served king but i swear they are supposed to be long-lived now i have to look this up talk amongst yourselves yeah. for a moment I'm, I'm
2: very <laughs> curious. yeah they at the internet says 93
1: and he wasn't really that
2: old <laughs> hey I, he got this name from his people I, they might not have seen anyone old yeah,
0: they Actually, were the first men, even the- and they hauled their sorry asses all the way over the whatever mountains. Th- to be fair. Were they blue? The blue mountains? I can't remember. Yes.
2: Um, Arid Louis in the blue mountains. Um, but the elves have never seen an old person.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair.
2: Uh, which apparently it's, it's stated that that was a very old age for men at that time, per the Tolkien <laughs> gateway. Um, but yeah, most of these people... You know, if they die, they die by murder or
1: death by orc. There's, there's no elf old. I guess it's because they get, like, I don't know, if blessed is the word. But the Edain get like when they're given Numenor to live in because they fight in the war. They're, you know, good thing the the valor do good things to them. I guess that happens later then. Anyways, I was confused. Weird. Who knows. That was definitely the most
2: important part of this chapter—figuring
1: <laughs> out how old Beor the Old was, and learning that he wasn't really that old at all.
2: <laughs> I just love, you know, some of the names in the listing of them. I started skimming, but we get, you know, we had Denethor die on a hill, and now we have um, a grandson of Beor is Boromir, who is the son of Boron, <laughs> which just made me laugh. <laughs> And then we get grandsons that are Bregolas. (laughs) Really, Tolkien? Really? Bregolas?
0: Bregolas. Listen, every time we read Boron, I think it's Moron, so... Pretty much. I have problems with these names.
1: Isn't Boron an element? It is. It is
0: okay, good it's, it's the
1: element to say that, that right when in
2: you're in high I'm school just... taking chemistry and you're like a uh, uh, boron like this class <laughs>
1: <laughs> i actually Wait. i like that Beor has a son named baron b a r a n and then like a great great grandson named baron b e r e n because <laughs> of course <laughs> like and it's that one that's important but <laughs> like why why um so I have to say like Baran yeah. instead. <laughs> 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 and they're all bees. Right. Like I'm I'm already confused with Meglin and Majros. I typed Majros so many times in these notes when I meant to type Meglin. And now he's giving us Beor and Baron and Barahir and another Baron and Belligand and Bella blah blah blah. Like <laughs> there's literally a Berigand and a Belligand and they are brothers. Why?
0: I assume at this point, if like names have the same stem, they must be related. Yeah, I think that's now a rule.
1: But not all. If the, time. the names
0: rhyme, they're probably twins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's it. We're finally getting enough people. It doesn't totally work anymore.
1: Because we have things like like Majros and Meglin who aren't related, or Meglin or, sorry, Majros and Kurofin who are brothers. Uh, are they? Yeah. No, yeah. Curafin is a son of Feanor. So is Oh,
0: Majors. yes,
2: straight.
1: <laughs> God.
0: <laughs> now, it, what the truth is, there are now so many characters, we can't keep track of them, yes. is what's happening.
2: Yeah. I was busy thinking about how we have those, like, hard Cs in the Finwë line, um, or in the Feanor line, and then on some others... And that branch also end up with some random hard C names, and it's like, really? Yeah. We couldn't have at least stuck with that.
1: And, like, like the whole end of this chapter is literally just, the son of Boromir was Brego, whose sons were blah 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 blah, who's the daughter of this person was this person. And, like, some of these names are very important. They will come back. But some of them are just like, I don't. And, of course, it's also full of spoilers. Like... But the son of Berahir was Baron One Hand, who won the love of Luthien, Thingle's daughter, returned from the dead, and from them came Elwing, the wife of Virendil, and all the kings of Numenor after. Yay. Like, okay. To there's fair, the rest of It's not the first time we've gotten humans. that spoiler. <laughs> I know. But I just like here is the rest of the story of the humans in one succinct sentence. It's not very succinct. In one sentence. It's <laughs> so very Tolkien. It should be noted, I suppose, that. These three houses are the Edain. No other humans are the Edain. Because there's some other dudes who, like, like the people who stayed in Estelad. they eventually go back. And I think there's some stuff later with, like, the Easterlings and blah, 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 blah. They are not the Edain. The, the ones who become long-lived and blah, 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 blah. And there blah, are some and, people who are just, like, rejected
2: by the elves completely. They're like, we'll head in you three groups, but no one else. Yeah. Toodaloo. Well, these
1: are the three that moved in and became friends with the elves and therefore fight in the war and get involved. Actually, there's a really good line about it in here. Um, are you talking about the one about them being caught in the net of the doom? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. All, all these were caught in the net of the doom of the Noldor, and they did great deeds, which the Eldar remembers still among the histories of the kings of old.
1: Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for being there for me, Rachel. I got you. So that's why the Adain are the Adain, because they get all caught up in everything. Uh, one of the new spoilers is that it mentions the son of Hurin was Turin, the bane of Glaurung. Yeah. Remember him? Remember him? Our baby dragon. Who <laughs> will not be a baby dragon forever. Yeah. No, it's it's no fun being dragon.
2: the bang, bane of a baby dragon, but <laughs> you gotta be the bane of a really badass one. Anyway, okay. Again, this... This chapter, it really was. It was peak Tolkien. Like, family trees, places, so many names, random bits of plot stuck in, and then also random bits of single-sentence entire summaries.
1: But also some of his, like, best plot stuff. Like, um, one of my favorite lines in here is where Helith settled it was technically part of Doriath, though it was on... The other side of the girdle so they were just like we live here now but and one of the elves was so impressed with them that they talked to Thingol and were like just let them stay and Thingol was like well if they keep the orcs away from us yeah. <laughs> and then when when this was told to Haleth that they're allowed to stay as long as they fight orcs Haleth says Where are Haldid, my father, and Haldar, my brother? If the king of Doriath fears a friendship between Haleth and those who devoured her kin, then the thoughts of the Eldar are strange to men. (laughs) Such a great fuck you. I love that so much. She was so great. And I, I really, I love it. That's my favorite line in this chapter. Tolkien really knew how to write a fuck you as long as possible. Yep. <laughs> Took him a while to get
2: there, but he did in the end. I think that's the perfect place to end this. <laughs> I, I have nothing brilliant else to say about this chapter.
1: I, I guess the one thing we, I kind of touched on it before, but how, how they do watch Be Or die, and how all of them are just like, this is the weirdest thing ever. We don't know about this whole weird death of old age we don't understand this whole death thing it's different than anything we've seen and it's weird yeah i guess they were sort of aware of
2: feodor's mom but no one really saw it well and that's not old
1: age no but at least it's death yeah i guess and it was like the fading death and i guess I guess the thing is that Beor was happy to, to go on because he was at the end of his life. And I think it was different with, um, oh, fuck, what's her name? Muriel, uh, with Muriel, because she was in pain, either emotional or physical or whatever, you know, and she just didn't want to be alive anymore with that. While Bayor was like, well, I've lived a good life. It's time to go on. And all of them are like, what What the heck? (laughs) So I think that's, that's just an interesting thing. That's the first time that the elves have seen that. And I don't know if jealousy is the word, but it's something that they can't learn. It's something that they, that these people that they view as lesser than them have and know, or get to know that the elves do not get to know.
0: So that's all I thought that was a good, interesting point. Anybody else? And that's all she wrote. That's all I've got. So, I assume that for next time we're reading chapter 18? Yes. Nice, nice, nice. Which might be a short chapter? Or it might end up being a It's five-ish ep- pages in my book.
1: Okay, so we'll have a bit of a short episode next week, but then the chapter after that is Baron and Luthien, and that will be... Oh, really? That'll be full of stuff we'll finally, we'll finally get the real one yeah we'll finally get it uh i'm looking forward to it That's i'm good so excited <laughs> i am too luthien is a badass wonderful bitch and i love her so i'm excited for that chapter
2: first we have to ruin some stuff
1: yeah um, I did want to mention that uh, somebody that I talk a bunch with on Twitter, uh, Alan, at Allen, he linked a video interview with Tolkien uh, talking about Elvish and how it's too complicated to learn and how he never finished creating it. And it's just a really interesting watch. So I'll, I'll, I'll link you all in the in the show notes if you want to see this uh, fun interview that the BBC posted today.
2: Yep. Also, like, bonus props if you... Uh... Made it all the way to the end of this episode and through the uh, men. Yeah.
1: Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at 2 Tolkien, or you can email us at want 2 at gmail.com and if you are feeling so inclined, we always appreciate a review or rating on iTunes. That would be fabulous. And I believe that is everything. So I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I'm Emmy. Bye. And will see you all next week. See you next time. Bye.